Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Kevin Jennings. Hey, everybody. My name is Kevin Jennings, and welcome to the Launch University Podcast. We are a podcast designed to help you turn good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. And today, before we jump into a conversation about how we can use data to grow our businesses intelligently and responsibly, I want to just kind of set this whole thing up for you. Today, you'll be hearing from my good friend, Bradley Martin. Uh, Bradley and I actually had the pleasure of going to college together in Nashville, Tennessee at Belmont University. And, And Bradley works really as a variety of things. But if I could say anything, Bradley has a special unique niche when it comes to working in marketing, sales, and business intelligence when it comes to startups. His entire career has that path where he has always been in organizations in unique times in their organization's history. And he's always been responsible for helping them grow. And so from roles in customer acquisition to uh, business intelligence to marketing and sales, and now he's actually the director of marketing and sales at Kindful, which is a CRM that specializes in working with nonprofits as they manage their donors. And I had a chance to sit down with Bradley for 30 minutes or so just to kind of pick his brain about what it means to measure as we grow. And so I'm really excited that you'll have a chance to hear this conversation with Bradley. And I know he has a lot to offer all of us. I mean, for those who've been following along with Launch University for any time now, you know, we are big proponents of what we call the launch loop. And for those who are new to this podcast, I wanted you to know the launch loop is is a derivative of the design thinking process that was popularized at Stanford University and through an organization called IDEO. And what that means is using uh, empathy and customer-centric, end-user-centric design to think about how we can get feedback as we develop our ideas, as opposed to going into a closet and, and making some invention that ultimately doesn't solve any problems for anyone. And so during this time with Bradley, we, you know, we unpacked that idea about how we can use the information that's already available to us as launchers, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs to be more intelligent and be more responsible as we develop these ideas. We talk about prototyping and a lot of these ideas, but really what can what what information is already available to us that can give us insights to make wiser decisions. But same time, how can we make sure we're not overwhelmed by information overload? I mean, if, if you have spent any time even using an email marketing service to promote your idea, you know that you have access to information like open rates and click rates and bounce rates and lots of overwhelming information that even on that one small thing, and that's before social media, that's before sales, that's before a lot of other numbers that are there for you. So we want we unpack how we can use it responsibly to make it actionable information. Well, I've talked long enough. um, So without further ado, here is Bradley Martin of Kindful. Obviously, I have the pleasure of knowing you since college. But for those who don't know you, uh, please tell them who you are and what you do. Yeah, again, thanks, Kevin. I'm I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Um, Yeah, my name is Bradley Martin, and currently I work for a company called Kindful. and just tell you a little bit about Kindful real quick. We're a, a powerful nonprofit software that helps nonprofit employees manage their donors better. Hmm. Right? And so really um, we work with a lot of different nonprofits that are um, struggling to manage their data. And you know, we provide software that just allows them to do that and bring all their data from one place. Um, 
I've, I've been now at Kindful now for about six months. Um, and before that, I've, you know, I've had, I've had a pretty varied background working with different startups, small businesses primarily, uh, even spent a little bit of time in real estate, applying some of these, these things around data. And, um, you know, I've really enjoyed just trying to help companies build revenue um, and build and launch products and build revenue through really mainly recording data and building really good processes. You know, one one of the things that uh, excites excite me about you being on this podcast is we are really focused on start talking to entrepreneurs as much as entrepreneurs. And I think it's one of our specialties on this podcast. And you are an entrepreneur. Like, I think, I think anyone who's ever, I mean, entrepreneur, yes, as well. But I mean, I think that you have a unique gift. I think you taught me a lot of that on a personal level about what it means to be inside an organization and push for innovation, push for change and push for better and really create new things in the context of an organization. So that's why I'm really excited. So I, so if you don't mind, I, I mean, you mentioned startups and small businesses um, and in your work with data. When you're in a startup phase of a new idea, what are some of the common pitfalls that you've seen other organizations make when it comes to growing sales, so as acquiring donors, customers uh, in those early stages? And what are they doing incorrectly? I think that that's Sure, people want to know that first. What am I doing wrong? Sometimes it might be a question we ask ourselves. Yeah, you know, I think um, it's an interesting question. I think when I think about it, I think there's two spectrums that you see people go down when it thinks about, like, just that, that limit them, right? One of those is I think um, they rely too much on their gut. Hmm. Right? And so I think one of the things I found um, I've you know been a big proponent of A/B split testing, right? You know that, and I think immediately people think about websites and stuff like that. I'm I'm more mean like do tick marks on a sheet of paper and send two different types of emails to 100 people, right? Like A/B split testing. But I think, um, and what I would always do is is recommend that people take the time to say which which one do you think will win? And here's what you're going to find: is it 70, 60, 70 percent of the time you're wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And so. I think like, so that's gut, right? I think the big thing that concerns me is when people just go with their gut, mm. they're going to be wrong a lot. Mm. Right? And that compounds. Mm. You know? And so I think on the flip side, people are looking for too much data, right? And they're, and they're not relying enough on anecdotal data, right? So you find I was stuck in this for a long time in my career was I, I wouldn't talk to our customers, and instead I'm going into Google Analytics, and I'm going into all these tools, and, and, and what I'm doing is I'm trying to assume what I think the data means. And so what I would recommend is make sure you have data that you're tracking. Use really good ideas, right? And then talk to your customers, right? And mm-hmm. But go out and try things. Make sure you're tracking it. Um, but the pitfall, I think, I find is that people assume that they're right, right? And, and let me tell you, you're, you're not, right? <laughs> and then on the flip side, like I said, they're just relying too much on data and they're not talking to their customers enough to get enough good ideas to test. Yeah. Right? So I think, like, hmm. get, get things out there, try them out, you know, um, make sure you have some system for measuring that could be as simple as some ticks on a sheet of paper. So my follow-up question for that might be something simple, and I, I didn't sense you earlier, but I, I, I am asking this question now. I know one of the struggles I have when I'm launching a new idea is I, I feel this race against time to start it while I have energy. First of all, mm-hmm. to start, I, like I know that my excitement about the idea is going to eventually wane when the hard work starts. So I have this urge to like just get it done while you're motivated to so you at least get it out there and, and you don't get hung up in your own mind, which I do all the time. And then the other part of it might just be I'm so busy doing this work now that might be working well. 
that I sometimes feel like I'm struggling to find the bandwidth to effectively test the right way. And so I know for pers- on a personal level, you've always done a really great job of, of doing it on your own, of kind of finding that, that middle ground of the urgency that's due in that moment to pause or test. And so I'm always curious to hear how people like you and others who do a great job that manage their schedule, manage their time to even think, how am I going to fit this in amongst the responsibilities or initiatives that are on my plate to find the, find the time to not only test it, but also to evaluate the performance of the test. Yeah. So I think, um, I think what you're hitting on is focus, right? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and, and look, I, absolutely struggle with it. Like I'm an ideas guy, right? I think uh, I got some great advice from uh, actually Dr. Cornwall at Belmont about keeping a journal, right, Hmm. of of ideas, right? And like um, knowing that if you're an ideas person, right, which I would assume a lot of people that are listening to this podcast probably are, right? right? They come up with these great ideas. And probably one of the things that happens is you may be really good at launching ideas, but then never revisiting them, you Mm -hmm. know, and which is is a risk, Mm -hmm. right? I think... um, one of the things I challenge my team here at Kindful around is we've, we've always got priorities, and each week we sit down. We use Trello for this. We sit down, and we keep up with a board, a tre- Trello. If people don't know, right, it's a project management software that's free. Um, but we keep a board where we can see what are all of our ideas we're tracking, what's up next, and then what are we currently working on. Hmm. And each week we ask ourselves on the what's up next – is there any of those items that could have a bigger impact on our business than what we're currently working on? Wow. And then I think there's a lot of times that we completely will pause an initiative that maybe we spent weeks on, and instead we move to something that we think will have a bigger impact. Hmm. And um, a couple of the ways I've done this in the past, one of the simplest ways is keeping this in a Google Sheet. Um, if, if you want something simpler, write an idea out and having two scores. One is... What's the impact I think this will have on my business from a one to 10, 10 being the biggest, one being the, um, the least, and then the other score being one to 10, how easy is this to implement? 10 being easy, one being really hard, right? Wow. And so you, what ends up doing, you, you add those, multiply those together and you get a score that tells you what to work on, right? Wow. And so I think, but you got to be disciplined enough to focus, yeah. right? Because, and, and, put, and be willing to put down other things like that. That's what's so hard, right? Is you got to be willing to say, you know what, that tactic's not working and get out of the idea that I've invested so much time. That opportunity, I think we get stuck into this thing of sunk cost is sunk cost. It's gone. You can't Mm -hmm. get it back. Only thing you can affect is what's in the future. So affect that. Right. Well, out of curiosity, for those who are listening, what do you call that exercise of doing that? Because that's that's valuable for me. I'm I'm already like, I'm going to go do that this weekend. Yeah. I mean, it is really, it's, it's our marketing meeting. That's what we do in our marketing meeting is it's all about that, right? It is all about our marketing team uh, for us where a SaaS-based business is trying to build what we call marketing qualified leads. Mm-hmm. Those are leads that we believe our sales team should spend time trying to engage with. And so everything is centered around what will drive the most marketing qualified leads in our marketing meetings. And so every single question is, if we do this work, do we think it will drive more marketing qualified leads? And I think that's the other piece is have your one metric. Have your mm-hmm. one to two key metrics that is most important that each team in your organization may be trying to affect. 
man, I'm, well, I'm going to give that a name. Let's call it the Bradley Martin Impact Score. <laughs> All right. So for anybody listening to this podcast, you have a new exercise. It's called the Bradley Martin uh, Impact Prioritization Exercise. And you have an impact score for every year because I think that's really powerful because I, I, I'm transparently speaking. When you're an idea person, you struggle with prioritization at times because you have the infatuation with the new task or the new idea that you think could be cool, impactful, something to that effect. Um, and you're the juxt- you know, and that balance that with the reality of, of resources and time. And I think having some some way to even manage yourself and have that moment of clarity, ask a different question. And the question you asked, that I want to make sure people hear, you never asked if it was a good idea. Because the idea might be a good idea. You just said, which one's easiest to do and which one will have the most impact? And those are different questions than, is your idea good? Yeah. And can I add one more thing oh, to please, that real quick? Absolutely. So, what, what, what can be really disappointing, I think, for idea people is depending on what you're selling and who you're selling to, right, what might be really fun for you to work on or right, might be something fun, something that you're really excited about, the real question you have to ask is, is your customer going to be excited about it, right? Uh, and is, like, that's, that's, that's and that's where we, like, honestly, right now, like, working with nonprofits, right? We love working with nonprofits. We love helping them, right? But sometimes nonprofit employees have a different vision than what we do for what's exciting or what's really going to help their business and their needs. Mm-hmm. We run a different type of business than what a nonprofit runs. Absolutely. And so we find ourselves, we get excited about some things that aren't the same challenges a nonprofit are facing. So so you mentioned a moment ago about working with, you know, hey, if I'm working with data, you know, then we have to, we have to know our metric. So what would you suggest someone track when they're just getting started? Like, hey, I, I mean, I'm just starting my own nonprofit. Maybe I'm starting my own my new business. I'm a solopreneur, et cetera. Or just an idea. What might be a, a guiding light for that metric or even some suggestions you might have for some initial metrics to follow or track? I love this question, right? And I think uh, there's a lot of metrics out there right now. You know, like is you have no shortage of data that you can access, even if you're using free tools, if you're using WordPress, if you're using um, uh, Shopify, any type thing, right? You've got just tons of data you can look at. At the end of the day, whether you're a for-profit, a nonprofit, revenue is the lifeblood of your business, right? There's some nonprofits that may have grants and stuff like that, but at the end of the day, typically your number one metric is cash, right? And how much yeah. money you're making, right? And so I think if you step up that funnel a little bit and you start to look at what are the metrics right above that, right? Like what are the metrics? Um, and so what is the thing that has to happen if you're an e-commerce site, someone's got to complete a, a cart transaction, right? So pay attention to your cart, right? If you're a SaaS business, someone has to finish the sales process in the SaaS business, right? Focus on your sales process, right? I think as you get closer to the the final purchase point or the the transaction point, you can have much bigger impact on the effects by by affecting those numbers. But you have to track them. You have to know what those numbers are, and you have to understand. And, and you know, there's all kinds of funnels and this and that out there. Just naturally think through what are the steps someone has to take to buy, and where do you lose people in that? You know, if, it, if it's a pipe, where is it leaking? Right? Mm. And how do you patch those leaks? Because that's how you're going to make the water flow faster. That's how you're going to make. And then as you get to the top, once you get that figured out, then you can start to figure out how to throw more water in. So so what I hear you saying, I'm going to try to repeat this yeah. back. So what I'm hearing is that there are some 
some numbers that are just going to be better for seeing the final outcome, like revenue. Yeah. Um, because without money, we're we're going under. We're closing. Yep. We're closing up shop. Yeah. But those may not be the ones that help us make better decisions. So almost like a scoreboard, yeah. where if, if if revenue is we're winning or losing the game. Yep. But that and it's telling us the outcome of the game, but it's not going to tell me which play to run the next the next set of downs because I, that doesn't tell me what the defense is doing differently than me. It just tells me that I'm losing the game. Right. So. And you're saying by going one step backward, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm talking about myself. So with Junction 32, right, we're, we, we are a consultancy. And so for us, it's going to be, you know, someone hiring us for a strategy call or, or, or some kind of coaching, um, you know, engagement with them. If I go one step back from the sale, it's going to likely be um, consultations. Yes. Yeah. And so for me, consult, the number of consultations is probably the more meaningful metric to tell me. If I'm if, if I have an opportunity to impact the game, yeah, yeah, and well, and I think like if, if we, I love analogies, yeah. Right? So, so, uh, so yeah, so, we're, so if we're going to talk about football game, like if, um, I th- which I think uh, we could use as a great analogy, right? Yeah, is we, that, we have a lot of UGA mm-hmm. fans because two of our co-founders are UGA folks. So, well, the Vols just hired a great coach. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, but no, I think um, look, I, I think if you don't mind me, you know, Please. expanding on that analogy. Right, touchdowns are the ultimate goal. Right, that's cash. Right, mm. um, and of course, there's field goals too. But really, all you really want is touchdowns. Totally. Right? Um, what I'm saying is the most place that you can have the biggest impact is in the red zone. Right, mm. is that like your red zone efficiency is is your number one metric outside of touchdowns. Touchdowns. Right. That's good. But you have a whole 80 yards before that. Yeah. Right. That you have to get down. Oof. Right. Which. Um, is a whole nother thing, right? And that's first downs, right? Yards per carrier, per pass, right, or whatever. But I think if we translate that to, and, and if you don't mind me hitting on, because I've I, I spent most of my time in SaaS, for us... So, sorry. And for those who don't know what SaaS yeah, is, that sorry. means software as a service. So yeah. if you're thinking about uh, Evernote, if you're thinking about um, any tool where it's, it's online software, typically, um, that you're paying for as a service, where you're paying for some kind of subscription... That's SaaS. Yeah. So, yeah, email marketing services, things like MailChimp, that. MailChimp, yeah. 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 For all the Atlanta folks. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and so we, the way we think about it is we have um, a sales team that works on moving people that have said that we've identified that um, have had a conversation for us and are really interested in the product where I spend 90% of my time is optimizing our sales process. I also work with a marketing team. And we spend a lot of time there as well. But if that sales process doesn't work really well, um, that's that is our red zone, right? It is mm, the individuals that. on the phone, and um, and we are working on perfecting that craft, right? Mm. And and if you don't mind, let me let me hit on what perfecting means. Please. Right? So it is role playing, is having conversations with one another. It's not all. It's not just practicing on our customers. I love right? that. And I think like. The idea, like that's one thing. If you have a staff, if you have someone else that's talking to customers and you're not role-playing with them, I know I'm getting outside of data right now, but if you want to affect the numbers in closing, understand what they're saying to your customers, right? Yeah. And I think like, so that um, that's how we affect those numbers is we really, really think and we're very deliberate about our process in the sales process. So you can hire great salespeople, but if they're not following a really great process, and then we watch those numbers really closely, and we talk about them every week. Yeah. And so, um, 
and and then if you go up above that a little bit, that's where we start getting into how well are we taking people who fill out a form on our website. So typically if someone wants to buy our product, they fill out a form on our website and then they are going to be introduced to a salesperson. How well are we doing taking people who fill out a form on our website and getting them to have a demo with us, which is the first part of the sales process. So, mm. uh, But I think from that demo on is our red zone. Right before that, we have like from the 50 to the red zone, which is mm-hmm. leads. And then from the other part, it's getting people to come to the website, fill out the form. I love that. Which is super important as well, because if you don't ever get that to happen, you don't get a chance at the red zone, right? You don't get a chance at a touchdown. So I think, sorry to kill that no, analogy. No, no, but, I think that's helpful. Yeah. And I'll say, if you don't follow football, I mean, you can just think about it as a trip in the car, right? Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I mean, essentially is that saying, hey, if you're going to drive two mi- five miles or four miles or five miles to get home, you're talking about the last mile, yeah. essentially, right? Saying, hey, yeah. like the, the idea is saying, hey, this is, can I, can I really lock in on making sure whatever effort's been done the first four, yeah. that we don't just, just let people off the hook and it just kind of fall off that last mile. Man, well, first of all, I've never, I mean, I've never heard that analogy that way before. And that, that's actually very helpful for me. And I'm a marketer for my profession yeah. and I'm still like, yeah, that's really good. So, so, I, so I think with that being said, I would love to make sure people think, all right, so we talk about how we're going to get started is, is trying to identify the step before the last one. Yes. As a way yeah. to start measuring it. And so, um, so, that, so that's helpful as well. So one thing I want to ask, so on the Launch University podcast, we talk a lot about this idea of something we call the launch loop. Um, the launch loop is essentially a, a process, a cyclical process derived from design thinking, um, the folks out at Stanford and IDEO, and really say, okay, there are five stages you need to clear. You have to understand the problem, you have to imagine solutions. You need to prototype that solution, um, validate the solution in in people's hands and and make sure that it's working and and you're getting positive feedback and they're actually solving the problem the way you think they will, that they'll pay for that idea, Mm -hmm. and then you launch it. Mm -hmm. And so, so we're really trying to encourage launchers who are listening to this podcast to say, I can launch the way I used to previously, and that's from my idea into the world. And, and there's some magic in there. I'm sure there's a time and a place for something simple like that. But we're really saying on, on these big ideas that you have, instead of mortgaging your house and just going, pause and really try to make sure you understand. Because to your point, we make a lot of bad assumptions. So here's my question for you, because I think this is something I think we could all benefit from, myself included. And that's what things can we do to measure the success of a prototype or our ability to measure the, how, how we are validating the idea before we go to launch. Because one thing that um, the co-founder of Launch University and one of the mentors here, Shane Benson, always says is that we become more in love with the idea by the time we get to validate. Because, because you, 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 know, cause you feel like, you, hey, I did understand the problem. I talked to people. I empathized with them. I made a pro- they said the pro- they, no, they said this was their real problem. We imagined a ton of ideas. We prototyped it. People, you know, we went through five prototypes. You feel like you're so in the know. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to a prototype, that I, you know it's easy to become blind to your, you know, or, or I would say ignorant to your blind spot is probably maybe, maybe a better way to say that. So I'm curious to hear from from for, every, for everybody listening, myself included, what can we be measuring at that particular stage? Is there something we can be looking at differently? Because maybe we haven't launched yet, so maybe revenue might not be it. We're still in that developmental phases. Is there anything you think from your experience we can be looking at to help us avoid making a mistake? Yeah, absolutely. So I think. Um I would say 
So let me make sure I understand the question. Sure, right. sure. So I think what, what you're asking is, so I've got a great idea, right? And I want to launch it. And, and I know the market's going to love it, right? And I've, I've went out and talked to my friends about it. I've went out and talked to maybe other people that look like, look like the person I think that will buy this. And they've validated for me. And now I have something I want to take out to the world and validate a little bit further. Totally. Is that, is that, that fair? Yeah, that's fair. So I would assume that we're kind of like in what I would call a beta period, okay. right? Where you're going out. And, and so I think um, a couple things. So first, making sure you're asking the people that is your target market. And understanding what your target market is, I think, is really important because um, your friends are always going to tell you that your ideas are great, right? And so, um, I think uh, unless you're, unless Bradley's Martin was your friends and one of your friends, and, and he'll, he'll gently tell you, well, yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, look. It, if you have a really good friend, they're going to be honest with you, right? right? Everybody else is going to tell you, you know, uh, if you ask your mom, obviously she's going to think your ideas are great. Right? Absolutely. And so um, what I'm going to hit on is surveys. Sure. Right? And so I think, but, I, but uh, and surveys may sound obvious, but surveys to me are, very, are a really interesting tool. I think the thing that's interesting, I think, is that they're typically highly misused. Hmm. Or, um, and so I think the reason I think surveys are great is because you should make them anonymous, so people can give you honest feedback. Two, you should ask open-ended questions, right? Which um, a lot of data people will tell you that's, well, open-ended questions are terrible because you can't easily sort them, you can't easily rank them because you don't have a standardized answer. So you think, to be, be a little bit more clear, it's really easy to ask, pick A, B, C, or D, right? The problem is you already defined what A, B, C, and D are. Totally. What you can't find is necessarily what E, F, G, and H are, right? That wow. are things that maybe you never even thought about. You're, right now, you make me feel bad already about a survey you sent out last week. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sincere. I'm like, I'm like, I'll, like, I'll everybody an apology on my team. Like, hey, wrong survey, guys. So I think the thing is, is asking, uh, asking really pointed questions um, and really thinking about what you're trying to get answered and doing your absolute best about putting no of your bias into the questions. Wow. Right? Which, so I think, imagine we're at a point that we've launched a product, we've got, let's say, 100 people trying it out, and we're not making any revenue yet. But our goal is to validate how much people would be willing to spend for this, right? Imagine you send out a thing that says $5, $10, $15, $25, Oof. right? But what people were really willing to spend for it was $300. Yes. Right? And you completely missed that. Because you you put your assumption in there. I compare right? maybe I compared myself to other products in the marketplace that were similar and said, yes. well, they're only charging five, ten, yeah. fifteen, twenty-five dollars. Yeah. So, and part of this, the reason this is on top of mind for us, Kindful just did this great. Uh, our marketing team, I have to give them a shout out. They just did this great thing called Twelve Days of Christmas. We're giving away gifts, and and we wanted to learn more about the nonprofit community. Um, because currently we have a lot of people here who have worked at nonprofits, but but they've been here for a while, and and you know sometimes you forget your your history a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. And so we did something similar, and um, we we uh, we asked a couple open-ended questions, and we asked some that had some bias in it, and some things that we knew the answers for, like what's your role? We typically knew what people's roles would be, but we asked, how would you explain kindful to your friends? Mm -hmm. um, and that's all we asked. And it was just a paragraph answer. And we got great feedback. And luckily for us, it's how we've been explaining ourselves. But there were some answers in there that were really, really interesting that we didn't realize people thought that we were something different than what we are. Hmm. And, these are and these are customers? Yes. Well, well, some customers, some prospects. Okay. But we were able to sort that. But yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's well, that's helpful. And and, and by the way, this is something I never. I mean, we all go through this particular part of it, right? I mean, yeah. That that beta phase that you were you, know, you kind of yeah. described it. And and and, and if I can add one last thing to that, Please. I think um, about getting so now you've got all these answers, right? That are uh, <laughs> that are crazy, right? Like maybe um, you, you want to try to make the answers as short as possible so you can try to rank them. It's hard work, right? But what you got to do is go in and pick out the keywords and start to build categories for the answers. Again, try to keep your bias out of it, but go in or maybe use a word cloud tool. If you hmm. Google word cloud, you can upload like um, uh, a Google sheet or, or Excel sheet to a word cloud and it'll just pop out the words that come up most often hmm. and you can just see it visually and go, wow, you know, like easy is the word that people say most, right? Mm -hmm. That's great, right? No, that's helpful. And, and yeah. so that kind of sets up really the, the, the next question you talk about you work with nonprofits. You know, people who listen to this podcast might be creating a, a nonprofit or, or, or a social um, entrepreneur, a social enterprise or it might be a solopreneurs or may just have a, an idea that just they don't really care if it's quote unquote uh, a business. Mm -hmm. But I would love for the people who are listening to and myself included to understand what have you seen are the biggest differences between for profits and non profits when it comes to how they're thinking about information, how they you know, how how they're thinking about data, how they're thinking about structure. They just say, hey, these are some of the I mean, more really from your perspective, anything, just hey, after working with thousands of nonprofits with Kindful and thousands of for profits and other situations I know of, you know, this is some of the big differences I think that these leaders need to be mindful of, these launchers as they're going about what they're creating. So I might flip that question just a little bit sure. to, to say um, I think the biggest thing that we've recognized that is a difference is that too many of those companies aren't thinking about themselves as a business. Wow. Right? And so, um, uh, unfortunately, and, and look, I think um, some people that may be listening, I know you, you've read The E-Myth, right? And mm -hmm. which it's a great, I think, uh, correlation here that a lot of people start businesses because they're passionate about what they do, right? Um, but they may not realize that what they're doing is starting a business, right? And so for, I think a great example is, um, uh, we see it in nonprofits all the time, is that someone, uh, most people who start a nonprofit is, their goal is to help the world, right? And, and specifically to help some injustice or some segment of the world that needs help. And then what they quickly find out is that there's a lot of account, accounting, a ton of regulations, and a lot of fundraising that needs to be done, yeah. right? And fundraising takes marketing, right? And so, unless you you no, are no, one yeah, of I'm the, with you. Yeah, unless you're one of the lucky or, or you've done the good job of being able to get a grant or something like that, sure. But still, typically, you know, that's that's the that's the thing you're going to run into. And so, I think what I would recommend is if you're thinking about launching a nonprofit and you're thinking about doing that, is really going back to say, what is the good I want to do? What it, will it take to do that at a high level in terms of like funds or resources? And then, frankly, the hard question of, do I have what it takes to go build that? Because it's, it's difficult. Yeah. Right? And, and I think uh, um, it may mean hiring staff. It may mean doing, doing those kind of things. So yeah, I think that's good. Um, that may not be necessarily be around data, but I think it's, it's one of those things that we see happen a lot is that people get really frustrated at some point because they find themselves not being able to do the good they want because they're having to do 990 forms and they're having to do yeah. um, you know, uh, charitable solicitations for every state and things like that. I'm not trying to encourage people not to create nonprofits. Just yeah. know what you're getting into. No, that's helpful. I mean, that's just 
good advice. Yeah. You know, to, to say, hey, do I do I know what I'm do I know the the truth behind what I'm trying to do? And I mean, I'm sure that's why many launchers tend sometimes to try to stay ignorant, right? Is that we don't want to have to deal with that reality. Um, I know in Seth Godin's book, The Dip, he talks about the power of intentionally saying no and, dis- and deciding. He, say, he said, there's, there's going to come a point in anybody's project where you're going to come to this valley. And not just emotionally, but just like the hard work of, of making some things move forward. And he's saying the key thing you want to do is kind of pause and really assess the dip in the sense of saying, what's it going to take to get out of the dip and back to where I want to be? And say, okay, do I want to do the what it takes? Nope. Say no now. Say no, walk away, give us pat, pat yourself on the back for the time you saved that you didn't feel compelled to force yourself to push through something you don't want to push through. And, and, what, and what the reality that really means for you to give yourself the power of saying, I have the power to quit. Yeah. And it's okay. Yeah. No is the most powerful word. Yeah. Well, yeah. well I have one final question for you, my friend, before, we, before I let you go. And I want to thank you for your time so far. Um, I would love for people... I mean, sincerely, people, Bradley has so much experience in so many different situations and in different uh, industries doing something similar, but really taking a skill set and applying it in a different context. And I would just love for you to say, hey, what if you have any advice for anyone who's launching a new idea today in the new year? You know, what is your main piece of advice for them? So um, I love this question. So I think uh, I'm sure you guys have talked about this at length, but minimal viable product. Right. And, and please and, yeah, unpack and, the idea a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and, and what I'd love to do is use another analogy, right? Yeah, so, so explain what that means yeah. and then give us your analogy. Sure. So, minimal viable product means typically there's a problem that you are solving, right? Um, and so, I'm going to go into my analogy that is imagine that the problem you're solving is that there's a lot of people who need a place to sit, hmm. right? And they're, they're tired, they need somewhere to sit down, right? I think the challenge is most people want to start with building the lazy boy. Hmm. Right. And instead of building a stool. Hmm. Right. So if the problem like get to the heart of the problem you're solving and build the thing that most simply solves that problem. Come on. That's good. And then take it to market and say, how could I make this better? Right. And so let's 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 take that a few steps. Right. So we have the stool. It's wooden. Right. And the individual says, yeah, after I sit here a little bit, it, it doesn't feel comfortable anymore. Right. And so. Now we're going to make a padded seat for the stool, right? So that's that's the number one thing that people are looking for. And then they say, you know what? I kind of like to lean back. So we're going to put a back on it, right? And maybe the next thing is I want to be able to turn without getting up. So we make it swivel, right? Hmm. But I think the biggest challenge people see is that they will spend time assuming they know what the answer is. Yeah. And building, and, and again, not getting enough validation and can I just say, like, I think the, the other thing is go talk to your customers, right? Like, go talk to the people using your product. I think this, this, this initial conversation was a lot about data. I think what I've found is that early in my career, I spent too much time in the data hmm. and not enough time talking to the people out there and, and realizing that the anecdotal pieces, talking just to one or two customers and watching them use your product – or having them tell you how they experience your brand can be phenomenal. And you will gain more out of talking to one or two people than what you could spend with weeks of looking in tools like Google Analytics and things like that. Because you'll get some things and go, it'll light bulb will go off. Then you can take that back, going back through your cycle, you know, create a, another minimal viable product or create another feature to the product, go back out and test it and say, 
So is that better? Is, is that softer now? Does that make it more comfortable? Great. Now, now how could we make it better? Hmm. And just continue that cycle. And, um, but data will help. Um, talking to your customers is better. Hmm. Data will help. Talking to your customers is better. I love that. So I do want to ask, I mean, I do feel like I would be letting people down if I didn't at least ask you to share some of the tools that you know the small organizations, launchers, nonprofit leaders, entrepreneurs can be using to kind of start down the road of things you've mentioned today, the ideas of surveys, the idea of kind of tracking that last, you know, that, that red zone area, um, and even even talking to your customers. I mean, I'm sure that that's, some people it's like, what do I even ask them on the phone? I mean, what do I talk to them about? How do I, how do I get the right questions out of them? So any kind of tools you just recommend, books, anything, resources to kind of say, hey, if you're just getting started on, on, on this process and really adopting this methodology, these ideas, where can I start to get better at it? I'll just rattle off a couple things here sure. that I think I found really helpful. If you have a website and you're not using Google Analytics, right, just to understand how people are in, engaging with your website, you really should be, right? I think like that that's a that's a table stakes item if you're if you have a website. Um, secondly, I, I mentioned Trello. I, th- I love Trello. I think it's a great tool for just keeping your your thoughts and stuff organized and being able to f- see where things are in a process. It's a really visual, easy to use tool uh, for project management. Um, and I think allows focus, right? Um, secondly, things like uh, SurveyMonkey, MailChimp, right? Tools that, um, and this isn't so much around data, right? But tools that allow you just to be more efficient in your work. And I think more than anything, all the tools these days come with a lot of data. So if you're launching an e-commerce tool and you're using Etsy or Shopify or something like that, just understand the data that's available to you. And really, I think the big question around, there's tons of data available, ask yourself, so what, right? Hmm. If you're looking at something and you see the data and you go, so what, right? Can I do anything with this? Because there's a ton of vanity metrics out there Hmm. that are things that will make you think, but will make your brain just spin on things that don't matter, right? So ask your, so what, right? Hmm. I would just, uh, you should ask yourself that a lot. Well, first of all, I mean, I, th- I think anyone listening can appreciate the time and what you've shared because I think one of the things that sticks out to me already is the idea that I really can't spend enough time trying to empathize or connect with my customers. And I think that it's easy for me, myself included, to say, I've been doing this for, you know, seven or eight years now, helping people market their business in a variety of capacities. You know, whether when you and I were together working at another email marketing company. And I said, we, like, we've, I spent all this time talking to people on the phone to understand, even understanding business, small business marketing needs before I was even doing what I'm doing today. But that's, that, you can't, you can't stop doing that. You know, you can't stop connecting to the customer and to the end user. And I love the idea of saying, asking myself what good I want to do in the world. And I think that can be applied to every organization who's, who's here saying, so what am I trying to do in the world? Because I think when you, when you own that, it does kind of bring things back. And, and I feel challenged really to, to, to simplify my mindset even. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I've been, I've, because I, you know, I went to business school, I can find myself making things more complex than they need to be. And for any launcher who's listening, you know, I hope that today you are reminded that there are some things you can do definitely to be smarter about how you go about it. Um, but we can't forget the basics. And I think if there's anything launchers often struggle with, it's we get so in love with the idea that we ourselves will tune everybody out because we don't want to hear yeah. what they have to say anymore. Well, and I think the other thing that you'll likely find is a lot of people will oftentimes you 
imagine you're in two grocery lines. I learned this in, in, in an economics class in college. It's probably the single biggest lesson I learned from college. Wow. Just imagine you're in two grocery lines. You're at Walmart. It's at midnight. And they only have one line open. Right? And you've been standing in it for 30 minutes. Mm. And another line opens. What do you do? Jump in it. Yeah. Why? Because they opened up for me. They, they, they create opportunity for me to, to serve me. Well, they, and really the why I would say is that it's the fastest way for you out of the store, hmm. right? The problem is for some reason, we will find ourselves spending a lot of time in grocery lines in our business or in Walmart lines because we feel like we've spent too much time there. I mentioned sunk cost earlier, right? right? Um, people stay in relationships for way too long because because they've put in so much time. But I think to your product, you get in love with it. Not only is it that you get in love with it, you spent so much time on it. But there may be a really simple answer over here that's a lot faster to get you where you want to go. Hey, I want to thank Bradley again for his time. It was a pleasure to sit down with him. And one of the things that really just jumped out to me was the idea of that red zone. I've talked about that with multiple people since the interview is saying as as a small organization or a launcher, when you have a new idea, if you can figure out a way to to make the last 10 yards helpful, you can go a long way. What we do know is as a marketer, I I can tell you this, you know, that when someone is in that red zone, if they're, you know, if if they're on your website, if they're hanging out with you, if they're calling you as as an organization, they're interested, right? They're interested. But we often do a terrible job of optimizing that those last 10 yards those last that last 10% of the buying or sales process and we get in our own way that could be a website that has a contact form that's broken or an email inbox where they go that no one checks or you know a variety of things because because as launchers we're, we're managing so much of what we're developing and so that was really a challenge to me to say, hey, how am I, am I getting in the way of people who, who may already be raising their hand and are interested in what I have to offer? And as launchers, we have to convince someone to take the next step with our idea, with our project, with our nonprofit. And what can we do to make sure that particular process is smooth? And what can we learn from it in that in that process to see what's going wrong? Well, as I mentioned earlier, when we first started this episode, I talked about this thing called the launch loop and, and how we have this process that we've kind of modified our own derivative of the of a design thinking process to help launchers who are just starting with a project launch more successfully. So we created an ebook um, called The Launch Loop. Five steps guaranteed to get your ideas off the ground. It's completely free. It's a gift to you to help you start to think through how you can, you know, better leverage a process to give each of your ideas a higher likelihood to succeed. So if you text the word launchpad, all one word, launchpad to 345-345, you'll actually have an ebook delivered straight to your phone. It's going to reply and ask for your email address, but then it's going to actually send you the ebook to both your email and to your phone as a PDF. And so you can actually read through it. It's really simple, really short. And we have a lot of great extra resources that we link to. Some case studies you can read from other people who have done this and launched their idea, their project, their organization using a process to give every single thing they're doing a better chance. And as launchers, we need all the help we can get. So we hope you enjoy that. Check it out. It's completely free. So we hope that helps you. And if you want to check out more episodes of this podcast, if you enjoyed this interview, uh, we have plenty more in the archive, but we'd love you to subscribe to this podcast. If you go to iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, tune in. This podcast is available to you. You can get it every single Thursday to have, help you get 
get maybe some more information to help you launch your idea better because we believe that you're a go-getter. We believe that you have an idea and you're always thinking of something new you want to create. However, we often don't have the plan or resources we need to get from where we are to, to where we want to go. And we want to give you some proven practices, some principles from other great leaders, great other great launchers out there that can help you go from being a go-getter to a difference maker, whether you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur within an organization. So check that out as well. We love to help you with that. If you enjoyed this podcast, also leave a rating and review on iTunes. Why iTunes? iTunes is like the Yelp of podcasts, right? It's the Google of podcasts. So that's where everyone goes first to check for their content. And when people see a positive review there, that kind of trust translates to other platforms. So we'd really appreciate your time there. And also we reference some resources here. We reference some ideas here. If you go to launchyou.net, launchyou.net, we have a summary of every single podcast episode that you can actually have access to. So if you're driving, if you're on the way to work, if you're working out, you don't have to worry about writing anything down. We've already done that for you. And you can actually just go check out everything that was mentioned in this episode, as well as other great blog posts about how to launch well. So we hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you again for tuning in. And we hope to see you and have you here with us next week on the Launch University Podcast. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Launch University Podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.